I want to take a little time <clears throat> uh, to continue to, to share together around things that God has been saying to us. Last week, uh, Jamie spoke to us, remember, about the cave. And uh, same thing, you know, think it's a dark place, but then it can also be a place that God is working out his purpose. Uh, a place where it helps us to see differently. In that illustration, remember the 180 degree turn transformed how you could see. There's a place of sightedness that God's got for us. And I want to just continue in that realm. The reason being is we know that God is taking us uh, into a large place. We know that there are new things, there are different things. Um, hardly, I was going to say hardly a week goes by, but it almost feels like hardly a day goes by without some thought, something's beginning to emerge with one or other of us, and we're going to give some time to that in coming days so that we are uh, prepared for that, so that we're working into that uh, in, co in cooperation to what God is doing. But there is a place of preparedness, a place of readiness. It's um, <clears throat> Sometimes we can look at it in the different positions. Uh, certainly uh, sleep um, does not communicate a sense of that readiness to go. Sitting down uh, wouldn't be that. On our toes, on starter blocks, yeah, that, that would have more of a concept of that. Um, <coughs> but I'm going to go beyond that, that idea. That, you know, we can be in a particular place and it, it, it can feel a bit like, what, what's that expression, trudging through treacle or in a bit of a hole. But even in that, as we look to God, there's a, the opportunity to, to kind of peep over the top of the hole or peep over the top of the wall. Uh, you know, you can, you can just be there looking at the wall and what I believe God would have us to do at this time is to begin to take a peep, begin to have a look. Actually, to be like people that, um, you know, you see on the film sometimes depicted uh, these programs where there are emergency response services, you know, uh, fire or uh, ambulance or helicopter rescue. And... Yeah, they're there, the, the people are there, but they're ready at a, a moment of time to leap into action. And I kind of feel in these days that, that that's, that's how God wants us to be positioned, with, a, with a, a, a readiness to move. Now that may be individually, it may be altogether, but that... Not, instead of just sort of laid back, instead of just sort of sleeping, that sort of positioned, ear inclined, ready to actually go, ready to actually move. Now, in olden times, that not many of you will remember, even Lincoln's, 
might not remember it. Um, but help me, just use your imagination, Lynn. You would, you would take a trip to the coast, to the seaside, yeah? And in those days, cars had windows that you tended to have open because you didn't have aircon, all right? It was possible, before you ever saw the sea, because, you know, you had to park the car before you could see the sea, that you could, hmm, catch the smell of sea air. You know, I've not even seen it yet, but I'm in this car park and I've got to walk for at least half a mile with my bucket and spade. But, hmm, I can smell the sea air. And I think where God's got us at this time is that he wants us to be a people that are able to anticipate in the Holy Spirit. Dream in God. Begin to tune into a, a readiness wavelength to pick up just what he's got. Because in spite of all that we've been hearing and all the things that's happening, I'm convinced that there's, a, there's yet more. And there's more for us to actually tune into and pick up to engage us in this move forward. And uh, I, want us to, I want us to get the benefit of that. In order to do that, we need to, we need to have this sightedness. We need to see correctly. We need to be able to pick up what is as against what appears to be. We need to be aware that there's something beyond. If I don't think there's anything uh, in the next room or the next place, why would I ever bother to go in and look? And it feels to me as though just now there's a, there's a kind of preparing that we might benefit in this anticipation. I think there's something in the next room. I think it's worth looking into. And that sense of, uh, of almost a, a kind of a childlike anticipation where there's a, a, a what's next? What's coming? I remember um, my, I have one sister uh, and uh, she had um, children, or I don't know, long before I was married. So I can remember her children growing up. And uh, they used to come to my parents' place. Um, I don't know when it was, so let's say on a Saturday. I can always remember her boys coming with, a, with that look of expectation because they knew that my father would have some, something for them to do, something for them to make, something, some trouble for them to get into um, some catapult to fire I mean I, I think it's appalling some gun to shoot I mean dreadful stuff but, uh, but I, you know you, you, there's some things you just stick in your memory and I, I can remember seeing uh, these kids come in with that what, you know I'm up for it what's on today you know not a kind of oh, I'm, so, I'm so bored I don't think anything's going to happen but that that 
And, and I think in the goodness of God, he lets us into that. It's, uh, for those of you who uh, uh, understand these things in a better way, it's like anticipating Christmas. Like anticipating Christmas, which happens from about May. <laughs> All right, so we, we need to see this something beyond. I had to, can I just share with you a couple of things that have happened to me this week? Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Wacky, who uh, is the Egyptian guy that leads the uh, Arabic ministry in West London, you know him, he came, he was here for the conference. He came over and he began to talk about various things that were opening up and stirring in him and for him and in Egypt. And uh, he came up with this totally preposterous thing about the situation of hepatitis C in Egypt, which uh, is statistically is deemed to be much higher than any other country. And he said, I believe that we have something to do in that. And when he said we, he was incorporating us. So I thought, okay, let's... let's uh, Let's hear a bit more about this. And so Avril and Jamie and Vic uh, and myself got together with him. And uh, he began to talk and give us some, uh, some information, some research. And uh, what was the population of Egypt? He did tell us. Anybody remember? How many? 90 million. I know it's something like that, yeah. Okay, huge population, big country. And there we're sitting in the room in Lifeline House talking about uh, doing something affecting this situation, which is vast. It's not that one of these sort of complicated things, but it's vast. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, this is so completely ridiculous but I couldn't help but feel and we could do something. We could be part of this. It's kind of the same thing, Andrew, with the work that you were doing with uh, the imaging for babies, premature and that sort of thing. And I thought, you know what? In the light of what God's doing, in the light of what God's saying, I could just... And I thought, this is, this is, this is ridiculous. Uh, it's ridiculous hope. And faith is about the substance of things hoped for. And I thought, hmm, it makes no sense. Praise God. Praise God. Because it's not something that's going to be worked out. Now, I don't know what the next thing or what's going to happen. There's various steps we, we decided on. So, it's the strangest thing, though, when you suddenly begin to feel. Now, was, I think Dawn and I were talking. Oh, no, was it? Anyway, I forget who the conversation was. Yeah. We're talking about all what was happening in Sierra Leone. I remembered back to a phone call. We were in California in a hotel. 
And they got a phone call to say, hey, we've been offered this school uh, to enlarge and develop the work with, uh, with the, the uh, children affected by war. And as I, as always, you've got to make an instant decision. And as I was on that phone, I felt I heard God say, if you will trust me, I will show you my naked power, my unrestrained, my uncovered power. And then just looking back, I think, hmm, it kind of feels that we've seen so many things God do which was way beyond what we could do. Then I'm listening this morning to Anne and to Beck and to Lisa. And I'm thinking, yeah, God doing what we could never do. Then, Friday morning, am I boring you? Good. I'm pleased that I'm not. On the other hand, it's a bit difficult to get up and walk out, really, isn't it? So <laughs> Friday morning, I'm looking at the Word and just going over what I felt God was giving me to bring to you. On my shelf, on my book, I've got a lot of books on one wall beside me. i got a book uh, which is Bob Geldof's autobiography. And I've never read it. It's one of those that I think at some point I'll read it. And it has a warning, as you could imagine, that this, some of the text might be difficult for those of a sensitive disposition or words to that effect. So I thought, I don't know, why? Why would I? I'm in the middle, I'm looking at the word. I'm, and I just picked it up. I wasn't really even thinking what I was doing and flicked it open. Started to read about when uh, he pulled together the Band-Aid, you know. Don't you know it's Christmas? Remember the, you know the song? Yeah. You don't need to have been born in the 1980s or before to know the song because it's all the time still used at Christmas. And, I mean, it was a remarkable thing. You got all these bands together and top-notch singers and what have you from all over the world and ju they just dropped everything and came and did it. and Just a whole huge story. And there's two things that stuck out to me. And this is somebody... It's doing a good thing, but it's not, it's not something that um, we're saying, well, maybe I, I'm not saying God wasn't involved in it because it was a tremendous thing that he did, but he wasn't looking to God for it. But you know the things that stuck out, stuck out to me was this. He said, in the process, the image of the program that introduced this, there was a... Michael Burke, a newsreader and reporter, went to Ethiopia and filmed all this and it created a stir right around the world. He said, through the whole process, the image never left me. And I thought, hmm, that sounds like, a, like vision. And then, he, then in the book he said, and I felt we could do anything. And I thought, hmm, if we, the children of the living God, catch something that he says and he implants in our heart. The issue of it's ridiculous, it's beyond us, doesn't even apply. Something begins to develop that says, you know what, I think we could do anything. 
And my brothers and sisters, that is where I think God wants us to be. In that place where we're peeping over the wall, where we're catching the sea air, where we can't actually describe, but we have a sense that, yes, there's, there's something more, and as God imparts that to us, there is nothing that can actually stop us because this is the purpose of God. This is the calling of God. God places something into us and, and it becomes something which is totally uh, unchangeable and immovable. Do you know what? That's a whole lot better than sitting in a, I go to work <laughs> to earn the money to buy the food, to give me strength to go to work, to earn the money, to buy the food, to give me strength. I mean, you know, who would want to dwell in that sort of existence when we could be a people that, hmm, like my nephews, up for it. What, what's on for today? That sense of Holy Ghost anticipation, that readiness to move into what he has. So, with that in mind... Let me take you to a couple of, uh, to a story, but first of all to a scripture. In Jeremiah chapter 1, what I want to do now is to help us in this process of being ready, this process of anticipation, this process of enjoying the expectation. In fact, coming to a place where we actually dare to ask We dare to ask, Lord, what have you got? We dare to say, Lord, what's what's my part? What what are you giving to me in this particular call that you're laying before us? God speaks to Jeremiah. um, Very clear word. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Fairly clear. All right, fairly clear statement of what God's intention is right there. What was his response? Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. Problem? He wasn't seeing and looking beyond himself. He was looking about what he could do. He was looking about what he could be. He was not picking up what God was saying Rather, the limitation. And you know what, guys? If, we, if our vision is simply focused on ourselves, it's absolutely crippling. Because, uh, you know, most of us are pretty sure about what we can't do and what we couldn't reach to and what we couldn't achieve. So, number one, we've got to make sure that our vision is not focused on us. In fact, it's a pretty grim place to be because God has delivered us from that. God has delivered us from self and we don't ever want to go back there. But if we focus on what I can do or what I feel like or, uh, or, or what my background equips me to or any of those things, we're like Jeremiah, totally crippled, not able to move. God is good and faithful to him and speaks to him, encourages him, and uh, then, then in word, uh, in verse 11, he says, uh, uh, what do you see, Jeremiah? And Jeremiah see, says, I see the branch of an almond tree. And God says, 
you've seen correctly, for I'm watching to see that my word is fulfilled. So step by step, God takes him to where he wants him to go. And I'm going to just jump through, because I just want to make this one point here. Uh, Jumping through to verse 18, God says to him, Today, now this is the child who can't speak. This is the one who doesn't know how to speak, who God is calling. Verse 18, God says, Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall, to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, etc., etc. See, what does God want? He says, you know, you might not rate it. Give it to me. Let me see what I can do with it. And everything given to God, he takes, blesses, multiplies, uses for his purpose. That's all he wants. How often do we say, not looking for superstars, looking for a people who say, here am I, Lord, send me. Now, we understand, John chapter 15, verse 5 says, apart from me, this is Jesus speaking, you can do nothing. You can't do anything. So we know that. We know that God's grace is there all the time to help us. That As we choose to do what he does, he empowers us so we can do it with the life source, that supernatural source. So that in Philippines 4, verse 13, we can declare, I can do all things through Christ. It's a good declaration, isn't it? Can we all all declare that together? I can do all things through Christ. Hey, we're going to have to do this again. Because that person sitting next to you was not convinced about what you said. No, you're going to have to turn to them. Come here, Mark. Turn this way. No, towards me. <laughs> Listen, I can do all things through Christ. Yeah. Now, we've got to get a little bit of something into it. Yeah, yeah practice. Practice on somebody. Okay, that's a bit better. (laughs) You've got to think, it's amazing, isn't it? God sets his love upon us. He decides he loves us. He decides he wants us. He makes the total sacrifice so that the barrier of our sin can be removed. We choose to submit to his rule. He brings us into his family, makes us one of his. We become children of the living God. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to use you in my purpose. Wow, what a package. What an amazing package. All right. Follow me carefully this. Ephesians 2 verse 10 speaks about created to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. All right? So we are created 
to do things. God says good works, which he's already prepared for us to do. So great things, good things, because God has prepared for us to do them. All right, let's turn to the story, Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah, remember, is rebuilding the walls of uh, Jerusalem and he's faced a lot of opposition and he's still facing some. When the word came, this is Nehemiah 6, when the word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I'd not set the doors in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come and meet us, come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project, a great work, and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sam Ballot sent his aide to me with the same message in his hand was an unsealed letter in which it was written. And this is all about him leading a revolt and wanting to overthrow the kingdom and so on and so forth. I sent him this reply, nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too work, too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Now strengthen my hands. Not a bad prayer. Lord, strengthen us. Let it not be at that critical moment. Let it not be when it comes to the time of giving birth, we have not got the strength. That's why God is saying to us in these days, it's so critically important that you... You, you give yourself to coming into a deeper level of relationship with me. I need to strengthen you. You need to be strengthened in me, ready for what we've got lined up in coming days. Jumping down the story, he goes to this house, goes to visit someone, And they say to him, let's go and meet in the house of God inside the temple and let's close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you by night. They're coming to kill you. I said, should a man like me run away or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realised that God had not sent him but they had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambala had hired him. He'd been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. It's very important when we look at things like this that we are tuned in in two particular ways. One is in respect of our personal response and development. Two is in respect of What is God saying to me at this time? What is the prophetic word about my situation, my workplace, my school, 
my office, my, my life, my family, so that we can be hearing from God on more than one level because this is his word. We turn to his word and he speaks to us through his word. When I look back over the history of LCP, Life and Community Projects, there are many times when it's almost uncanny how God has spoken clear direction. And that would apply to network and church where we may be going through a particular series or we may be looking at particular scriptures and it just is in the course of what we're doing. It's the next bit. And out of that, God has spoken and released clear direction in his word. That's how we want to function. <coughs> we want to function as a people that are hearing God and doing it. He's doing a great work. Well, I was just talking to you about this thing stirring on the horizon to do with Egypt. Mentioned Sierra Leone. We had a thing from Mark McGrath this week. He's got a contact. They want to pick up something uh, that could lead to uh, all sorts of things with Washington Post. and I mean, it just, look, guys, God can do this stuff. It's just, just God, you know. We just have to get on and, and do what he gives us to do. But you know what? He actually wants us to, to have that level of anticipation, expectation. Hmm? Anybody anticipating something in 10 days' time? Huh? Is Father Christmas coming to your house? Hmm? 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 Yeah. Well, you've got to be good. Oh, yes. Things we were hearing uh, from Daniel a couple of weeks ago about the opportunities to speak into issues pertaining the health service. What God is doing in the community, the community hub, with the mentoring. Look at the feedback we're getting from around the nations. Great works. Good things. Look at what we heard last week when Wilco told us about meeting with God. Weren't we thrilled to hear that? Yeah. yeah. And the baptisms on Tuesday. All the different people being baptised. Isn't that great? Great works. I read to you a, a bit of Keith's email about coming to a new place of being strengthened. That's great works. Had a thing from Lawrence, I think it was this week. Totally blown away, not just with the teaching, but the love which he and Portia experienced from amongst us. Examples of great work. Have a little chat. See if you can raise any other examples of great work, great project. Talk to somebody. Talk to two or three people. Okay. Anybody got any examples of great works? Anybody got any examples of great works? I don't want to hear them. I just want to know if anybody got any examples. Okay, quite a few. All right. Anybody been to school this week? Okay. Anybody do homework this week? Okay. Did you give that as an example of a great work? I'm not asking whether your teacher says it was a great work. <laughs> eh? 
Anybody got a baby? Oh, they're all out, I suppose. Anybody changed a nappy this week? Well, did you give that as an example of a great work? You did? Well done. Anybody washed up this week? Did you give that as an example of a great work? I am, um, as you know, God has not designed me to enter the kitchen. <laughs> but I'm looking, I thought, oh, I've got a few minutes to spare. Let me enter the kitchen. Let me empty or st- move the dishes. Let me put them away in that high shelf, which is a little bit difficult getting up on the on the gammy leg, but let me put them away. No, no, I'm self-sacrificing. That's what I'm sort of <laughs> I had to navigate. You know those big tins that you get that you keep uncooked spaghetti in? You know, those long things. I carefully moved it, but obviously not enough. Because in trying to put the dishes... It came down, bounced off my head, (laughs) crashed to the floor, and instead of just the lid coming off, the base disintegrated as well. (laughs) So here am I. This is not supposed to be funny. Here am I in my limited conditions of being able to bend and reach the floor, with, with, what do you call uncooked spaghetti? Pasta. 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 See, I'm not really familiar with these things. Pasta. I thought pasta was someone who led a church. Right. But, before the authority came back, I had somehow managed to not only pick up the Spaghetti, or some of it, anyway. Pasta. But somehow tried to stick the tin and... If anybody comes for pasta in our house, if it has a slightly unusual flavour, that's because I put the pasta back in before the glue had dried, so it's it's quite quite a nice... And of course, being honest and open, I made confession upon the return of she who must be obeyed. Was that a great work? I offered it somewhere, mate. <laughs> Here's my point. Everything that God gives us to do is a great work. Because didn't we just read about works that he prepared beforehand for us to do. Our starting place surely has to be that place of saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. An attitude of thankfulness and celebration. Now we have a choice. Homework again. I've got to hand it in and you've got Teachers like Neil and Richard Hilton and people like that that you've got to face. 
What an awful thought. What a fearsome thought. Is it a great work? See, guys, we start from where we are. We have the opportunity to say, you know what, this is what God has given me to do. I told you before, when one of our children, who shall be re- remain nameless to protect the guilty, would not sleep. And that went on for until they were five. And it was very tiresome. And I got out of bed on one of the numerous occasions and I went, Shh. and there I am, half asleep. I heard God say, if you should be doing it, don't complain. If you shouldn't, get back in bed. God wants us to be a people who recognize the things that he's given us to do are great because he's giving them to us to do. And if he's not giving them to us to do, we shouldn't be doing them because the Bible calls them dead works. It's a good place to start from in terms of daring to ask, moving into what God's got. Next time you look at that great pile of ironing, think about, is it a great work? Yeah? Sisters, when you look at that great pile of ironing and say, is it a great work? Remember that God has given you a husband. Okay. I move on quickly. We need to see it's great because God gave it for us to do. We have a different value system to this world. We need to be in that place. It's where God wants us to be. Where we demonstrate kingdom. Or we have a a kind of beaten down and and a moaning attitude towards it. Let's look at a few of these things in this story. Because we need to be a people that are aware at this stage of the kind of things that we need to be on our guard, be sighted, be not asleep, be on our toes, be ready to move. It's a critical time for Nehemiah. The wall's nearly done, but the doors or the gates are not yet fixed. So there's, once that's done, there's a control on entry. At this point, there isn't. And the enemy realises that they're reaching a point and there's a point of vulnerability now that won't be there in the same way in coming days. So it seems a bit of a subtle approach. It comes with this uh, suggestion or send messengers with this suggestion, trying to divert him from the thing that God had given him to do. Beware diversion. Beware diversion. Beware that, that, that there are tactics that the enemy will use that seek to take us off, seek to divert us from the very thing that God's given us to do. Then we see in verse 6, 
I'm just jumping around a little bit because I've already read this story to you. There's a kind of false accusation that he's trying to create a rebellion, a threat, a false accusation. You know what? Don't spend a lot of time answering false accusations. It's false. We don't want to be dragged down to answering the enemy's lies. Because that in itself is a diversion. If it's a false accusation, it's a false accusation. Let it be dealt with. Interestingly, uh, Nehemiah <coughs> excuse me, asked him a question. Why should the work stop while I leave and go down to you? Ask the same thing. Never gets an answer. You see, our answers are not going to come from that direction. The conversation is, is fairly futile in that way. I don't know what his purpose was in asking the question. doesn't really say. Oh, I don't know what I can do. What shall I do in this? Well, there's a good place to ask the question. Lord, what shall I do? We heard it this morning. Lorraine said about Lisa, couldn't fix it. Couldn't fix it. But Lord, what will you do? You see, it was reaching a point where clearly now the enemy had seen the result of Nehemiah saying, Lord, strengthen my hands. The enemy had seen that something was happening. In a, in a kind of perverse way, it's good to rejoice when there's attack or counterattack because it shows that you're on course. When you're taking a step forward in God, it shows you're on course if the enemy's got to trouble himself with counterattack and that's what was happening here they, they thought that there's no way he can do it they thought there's no way that this can be brought off I always remember uh, being told going back in Lifeline Community Projects being told you know you've got two options you can kind of stay below the radar, just do little things, not trouble anybody, not ask awkward questions. But if, if you're going to go and confront the systems and ask awkward questions and become a threat to the cabal, the, the kind of stranglehold that existed in that world, it will cause you problems. If the enemy thinks that you can do it, <laughs> the attack certainly livens up. And we've seen that, and we see that. But we recognise it for what it is. The enemy thought we could actually do it. Verse 1. And they saw what had already been accomplished. Verse 12. See, they... They weren't content just to work themselves. They hired others to come and, and they plotted against Nehemiah. 
But he kept safe. He was kept safe because he trusted God for protection, not trying to work it out himself. He said, let me do what is right and trust God. Um, and, uh, of course, we, you, you understand that if he'd have done, this is where he said, you know, come and, and meet me in the temple uh, because people are coming to get you. Uh, if he'd have done that, that would have been sin because he was lame and he wasn't actually allowed to enter that. So in trying to save himself, he would have actually entered into sin at that point. We have to recognise that God has not called us to save ourselves. God has not called us to enter into self-defence. He said that he will look after us. And if we go into that route, we can end up actually doing the wrong thing, going the wrong way. It's his work to protect us. We've committed our lives to him. And we don't want to be engaged in that. And I guess, as well as the villages of the plain of Ono being some distance away from Jerusalem, if you've been on a building site for some considerable point, the idea of sitting down, you know, for a coffee or latte or... What's the other one? Cappuccino. Cappuccino uh, a little advert there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sounds nice, you know? Sometimes the diversionary thing can almost appear attractive and we have to say hmm yeah what could uh, what could distract me what could entice me where are the danger areas what would be the villages on the plain of Ono for me what is the thing that I got to make sure you know I don't want to go there it looks good but it's not God no a good question to ask. We need that discernment. We need that sightedness. We need to see beyond the natural. See how at a given point they sent the same kind of message but with an open letter. Basically so that the rumour could be spread. News, especially bad news, travels fast. Verse 9, they try to create fear. Uh, one of the favourite tools of the enemy is to create fear. But remember that the enemy is a liar from the beginning. Anything that's contrary to what God has said has got to be a lie. Because God, is, it's impossible that God can lie. So every word of God is true. So we, if we go to the word of God, if we hear what God is saying, then everything else that's contrary to that, we can treat it in that category that it's a lie. If we believe it, it ends up causing concern and levels of anxiety. Doesn't stop short of a false prophecy. Verse 10, uh, prophesying about the people that are coming uh, and uh, coming to kill him, but of course that wasn't the case at all. Uh, and uh, trying to actually get him to do things which would have diverted him, caused him to believe a lie, caused him to try and fix the issue himself and actually led him into sin. So, let's have a little thought, just for a few minutes, about some characteristics 
characteristics of people who would dare to ask. Lord, so, so what's next? Characteristics of people that are prepared to look over the wall, to pick up the sea air. Characteristics of people who are wanting to be on that sort of point of movement, ready for the next stage. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 verse 1, lay aside every weight. You know, if you're going to be in that point of readiness, you've got to be dealing with anything that is baggage, any attitude, anything that God's spoken to you about, the kind of things that we've touched on in recent weeks, attitudes, actions, wrong-sightedness, looking towards the entrance of the cave, not looking at the blackness on the inside. Laying aside every weight. Good prayer to pray. I heard what he said, Lord. Is there some weight that you have in mind for me to lay aside? Guarantee you'll get an answer to that. Guaranteed. Lord, is there some adjustment for me? Is there something that you would like to develop in me? Good prayer. Second thing, have to have confidence in this, is, this great project. This is a great project. It's what God has given us to do. Now we're going to take some time in coming days to, to look at that in a bit more detail, define that a bit more. But I'm here, we're here in the purpose of God. Doing and seeing things that are completely ridiculous to the natural mind. You know, who would have said that we amongst us could have offered accommodation for 104 people? I mean, you know, it just, just wouldn't, you wouldn't think it was possible. And so on and so forth. I mean, it's just, if we, if we rehearse some of those things, we'd see just, it, it just blows the mind. Confidence. Confidence in the fact that God has selected me. God has chosen me to be part of his family. God has chosen me to be part of this expression of his family. God has chosen me, and I'm sat sitting here as one of those who's been selected by God for his ongoing purpose. Whether that be something we do together or something you do in your own particular pursuit. Anthony, as he works in that charity. Phil, as he works in his school. And so on and so forth. You know, Daniel, as he checks the water quality or whatever it is, you know, something highfalutin like that. You're getting married soon, aren't you? Yeah. That's a, that's a great work. <laughs> Just keep reminding yourself. <laughs> Confidence in our selection. Or are we going to be like... Oh, you see, I'm, I can't really speak. I'm only a child. But I've chosen you. Who are we going to believe? The vision focused on me or on what he says? Confidence. 
in our selection. Confidence in a God-given ability to actually win and succeed. Ha, there's an interesting one. If you don't think you're going to win, why would you bother to join the race? Don't do this British sportsman thing. I'm living in fear that those miserable cricketers will come crawling back from Australia and that somebody will have the audacity to say it was an honour to, just to take part. Well, it was a dishonour. We need to all be put in the Tower of London and locked up. <laughs> Running the race. Achieving according to his purpose. Recognise that he equips us, fully equips us. He has promised we can do all things through him that strengthens us. Being committed to actually move. I'm not settling here. I'm ready. I'm peeping over the wall. This is not it. There's something more. God has said. God has spoken. I'm looking for it. Believing to see what God would do. Psalm 27 says this, I'd fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Seeing the goodness of God. Giving thanks. At all places, in all points, giving thanks. All right. Lord, make me hungry. Create a desire for something beyond where I am. See, this helps us to lift up our eyes. We're saying, Lord, I'm wanting something more. For it is God who works in you, the Bible says, to create the will as well as to enable you to do his good pleasure. Number two, let's speak about what he's doing. Speak about what he's done. Malachi 3.16 says, you know, they spoke often one to another of God's goodness and God's doing and a book of remembrance was written. Sometimes it's good write some things down as well. And then to ask the question, hmm, what am I seeing? Is that sea air I'm picking up? What's stirring? And this is where I want you to engage as well. When we started way back in uh, community projects, God had given us a very clear direction. Gave us some objectives. But very definitely said to me, the shape of things, the direction I've given, but the shape will be determined by the faith of individuals. That's why... We shaped out from what Beck Coles did when she listened on her car radio to the need to listen. Nobody would listen to young people. And out of that, that sort of, as it were, humble beginning became all the stuff and the youth stuff working there. And Teresa was working, just talking to women at the school gates. Out of that came all the training stuff. So this is what I would like you to do. Be stirred. 
and share with us what you see, what you're feeling, what's stirring. And over this next little while, it'd be really good to hear from you. Do an email or do a note. Just what, what is it? Because out of that, we will together begin to see a shaping of what God's got for us in the coming days. The shape of things to come. I think this is something that everybody could engage in. Now we'll probably take time specifically to be looking to God on that as we go through and we've got our week of prayer and so on and so forth. But you know, when something, something often just starts, it's a little thought, and it's like there's something that comes in that, that nurtures it and something else that comes in that sort of shoves it over it and shapes it in this way. And in the end, we catch together a defining of what God wants as he takes us on. So beware of those steps, those characteristics, or the, the, the things the enemy would do as we seek to prepare. And let's be a people that are savouring with anticipation what God's got for us in coming days. Amen? Let's stand together. You see, we say this from time to time, but we come before him as those who he has called to be engaged with him in changing the very nature or changing history. We're history changers. You say, but that's just John, or that's just... Lynn, or that's just Dave, or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Those who God has called to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven.